When I saw your TV debut. Cash. Uh, can we not? Please. Look, I quit when the strike jumped off because being with you made it awkward for me, but Cassius, you abandoned your friends. Look, I thought to do a couple stoppages. And it's one thing to care. take the promotion, but now you are a full-out scab. <laughs> Come on, man. You didn't talk No, but they should be. I'm so tired of talking to you about this. You are crossing the picket line. I can't ride with you. Oh, what? you can't ride with me now. But you was riding with me all around. Over. All right, fine. Well, no more. Baby, what, what are you asking me to do? Are you asking me to quit the fattest job I ever had? Like... It's not that. It is morally emaciated. You sell fucking slave labor. What the fuck is it, slave labor? Fresh dressed like a million bucks. I'll be the flyest mother in the Afro when I touch. My arm is at a right angle up, silver tray in my hand. May I interest you in some caviar, ma'am? My eye shoots round the room, there and here. Noticing the diamonds in the chandelier. Background, Barry Manilow, Copa Cabana, and a strong damn scent of stogies from Havana. What no place where a brother might bend. Snobby old ladies drinking champagne with rich white men. Alright then, let's begin this Nights like this is good for business Five minutes in the mix, notice several different clicks Talking, giggling, a script, and one big baller in me twits And everybody else jacking him, throttling Found out later he on Coca-Cola bottling Talking to a black man, who's he confused me looking hella bougie Booty all tight and sedity, recognize him as the mayor of my city Who treats young black men like Frank Nitty Mr. Coke said to Mr. Mayor, you know we got a process like Ice-T's hair We put up the funds for your election campaign And oh, um, waiter, can you bring the champagne? Our real estate firm says opportunities are rousing To make some condos out of low-income housing immediately We need some media heat To say that gangs run the street and then we bring in the police fleet Harass and beat everybody till they look inebriated When we buy the land, these black folks gonna appreciate it Don't worry about the Urban League of Jesse Jackson My man that owns Marlboro donated a fat sum That's when I step back some To contemplate what you know, sat down Wrestle with my thoughts like a sumo Ain't no one player that could beat this lunacy Ain't no hustler on the street could do a whole community This is how deep it can get It reads macaroni on my birth certificate Putting Tang is my middle name But I can't hang, I'm getting hustled Only knowing half the game Hey everyone, it's been a while But welcome back to the Conquest of Popcorn I am Bardo I'm Pinko And uh, today we're uh, joined with uh, Twitter user uh, they go by, uh, you'd know they're at a soft, sad cloud, but uh, it's Callisto. How are you doing? Hey, what's up? It's me, Callisto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what's up? Uh, I don't know. What is up? What have we been doing except today? Is partying been, too much? Yeah, partying too much. Uh, studying too much and working too much. Yeah. How about yeah, you? That is what also studying too much. I'm really, really happy that y'all like I invited myself onto this fucking podcast. I was like, really glad you had or that you did. <laughs> I was just like, hey, let me talk about things. Let me talk about sorry to bother you on your show. Um, and I love and I love this because I am able to procrastinate on other things that I should be writing. And instead, I get to talk about a film I love. So, yeah. I love it when people approach us like this, though, because sometimes I'll get like, can I be on your podcast? And I'm like, yeah, sure. What do you want to talk about? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Or what? they're like, talk about this movie. And I'm like, okay, great. What do you want to say about it? And then they're like, oh, I don't know. I just like that movie. I just wanted you to do an episode about it. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Damn. Uh, people, we're both kind of uh, shy uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and awkward. And so the best approach 
is always uh, put me in your podcast. So this, and this tell, is great. And then have like a thing that you want to do because yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But it worked for me. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, we, you said so, you wrote a paper. No, you're publishing <laughs> a paper. Yeah. Um, so I, so part of my whole sort of like love of this movie is I'm originally from Oakland, California. Um, so I have like a real deep, deep love of, um, this particular film and sort of like knowledge of Boots Riley as someone who is just like around in Oakland. Um, uh, yeah. And so when it first came out, it was one of the, it came out right as I was leaving the Bay area, um, to move. And I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to see it when it comes out in Oakland. I'm just going to like see it when it, see it wherever, see it in the place that I move. Um, and it's going to be sort of like a slice of home and I'll feel like really nostalgic, but it'd also be nice sort of like transition thing. That didn't work because I saw it <laughs> after I moved and then I was like crying and I was like, I miss home. Why did I decide to leave? Um, yeah. But anyway, um, and then it was, the film was on a syllabus for a class that I was taking on um, digital aesthetics and resistance. Um, and I was like, well, fuck, I guess I'm writing my paper about this because I love this movie. And I just have so many feelings that I wanted to put it in uh, essay form. So yeah, so that's kind of like where this is coming out of. But I also have, but like, I promise everyone who's listening and y'all that I am not just, I mean, no, I take that back. If I get too academic, someone should yell at me and say, no, no, that's too much. No, no, it's good. <laughs> no, this, I, this, I, this podcast could use a little smartening up, I think. Yeah. I don't think, I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly. Um, I am an academic trash bag and everyone should should make fun of me ruthlessly for it. No, we, we you know, as much as um, the, the left would uh, often decry academia uh we need you Aww. uh so so thank you uh but yeah I've, I've so i've never i've been to san francisco a handful of times um for work and so i've actually i've been in a lot of offices that um look like the the uh the the big office in this mm -hmm, movie. the regal view offices yeah the, the regal view offices um but i've never i've never been to oakland I've never been to California at all. I'm, and uh, so I'm. I'm very pleased to have to Yay! have someone on board that could like, because um, it. I'm watching it, and you know, I I watched especially during, like, um, Occupy Wall Street and Black Lives Matter. Um, I watched like those helicopter cams mm -hmm. of, of Oakland, those streams that the news would do, just like following. Um, uh like anarchists around smashing yeah. windows and stuff yeah. like that and so I, I have this idea of oakland and and now in the last couple of years they've made a handful of movies that are very mm -hmm. like oakland centric movies and yeah so I'm, I'm trying to get this feeling about it but like how do, how does sorry to bother you like match your idea of what oakland is as a place so that's I mean, this is actually something that everyone who I've made watch Sorry to Bother You with me, I've been like, I've like paused the film at certain points. I'm like, my friend lives over there and I live <laughs> over there. And then I used to walk here all the time. And that place, that's actually this. And this building is owned by this person. Um, so I am the most obnoxious person ever, um, but it's fine. Um, 
No, I think one of the things about Sorry to Bother You that to me is really effective is that um, uh, it takes um, Oakland as a setting and doesn't necessarily give us like all the things that all these sort of Bay Area um, icons and like land and um, like landmarks. Like, I don't know. Um, I don't know if you saw that awful movie with um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, it was called San Andreas and it was about another big earthquake, right? Oh, I didn't, but I know what you're talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't, don't bother. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, but what was, what was funny was like, that was a pitched sort of, or like marketed as like a Bay Area movie. And instead it focuses entirely on San Francisco and you see Oakland like in the distance and there's no indication that Oakland is doing well after this massive earthquake. Um, so it's really interesting, yeah. So it's really interesting to see a film that is so very rooted in Oakland, but also doesn't necessarily show things like the Tribune Tower or um, uh, there's a couple of buildings that sort of make up like the Oakland skyline that's like um, in downtown where all of the sort of municipal and um, uh, larger sort of like government buildings are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was interesting to see like these things that um, for Oakland residents and for people who are from Oakland, like stand out and we're like, I know that shit. Like I know that particular stretch of highway or I know the BART and I know this gas station. And I, uh, yeah. So one of the things that I noticed that reviewers were sort of talking about and picking up on when they talked about, sorry to bother you in their reviews is, um, the house encampment that in, in, in East Oakland that, um, that is passed on his way to work at Rulio. Um, and this is like very, very early in the movie. Um, and a lot of reviewers say, oh my God, you know, that encampment is real. And I'm, and every time I read that, I was like, yeah, it's one of four. Like there's, there's so many large um, communities of houseless people all throughout Oakland because Oakland also has a housing crisis like the rest of the U.S. Um, but yeah, uh, back in um, last year, or in like early, early January, um, a United Nations rep actually met with houseless people um, to sort of do a special report and investigation about homelessness in Oakland specifically. Um, and it was it was ridiculous. Um, you know, so I'm just gonna read something that's from the East Bay Express, um, which was about this particular investigation. Um, and. The article says, um, Oakland's homeless population is conservatively estimated at 2,761 people. Over 300 of the homeless people counted last year during a county census for children. 68% of the city's homeless are black. Um, So, I mean, it was interesting to me that these reviewers were focusing on like the realism and like Boots Riley didn't have to build a homeless encampment as if this is sort of... I don't know, there's sort of weird voyeurism about the way that people talked about it. And I was like, that's actually a reality of like what it means to live in Oakland, to be, um, you know, they have to count houses people or who are around part of your community because they are also part of Oakland and this, and we are all feeling each other in that sort of, in this prevalence and the fact that there is no housing, that there is no um, sort of um, protection for the people who, are currently houseless or have been houseless for years. Um, and so that was something that really stood me in Sorry was that um, it's not presented in sort of like quotidian everyday sort of thing, but it is a part of the landscape and it is a part of what it means to be an Oaklander is to be constantly confronted with sort of in like with the inequality that we know we all live with and, um, and that we all sort of like fight back against all the time. Um, 
was watching Sorry to Bother You for the first time in the theater, I just kind of like gasped a little bit because it was so, um, it was so like, oh yeah, yeah. And I know exactly where that is in Oakland. Um, so yeah. Um, but also I don't really want to make, I don't, I don't, I don't want everyone to think that, you know, that's the most important part of the landscape of Oakland either. Um, sure. I think it's really important that so much, so much of the, of the shots are like in the downtown, which is, has been gentrifying since Occupy actually. Mm -hmm. um, my kind of read on this is that uh, a big push of development in the downtown happened after Occupy because, um, you know, the city didn't want downtown to be filled with, you know, anarchists and rebellious people <laughs> and people saying, well, hang on a minute, shit's not right. Um, and really I think after Occupy, downtown Oakland's like had all this money poured into it and so to see these shots sort of like um, these shots of downtown in a post-occupied time period, that's also taking place in the alternate universe of sorry to bother you's Oakland. Um, it was just kind of wild and surreal to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it, when I first, you know, in, in like, I guess, you know, two, 2012, that was Occupy, right? 11, 2011. 2011. Was, yeah, November was when uh, Occupy Oakland started. Right, right, right. And um, I remember thinking, like, if, if the revolution is going to, you know, I was, what, how old was I in 2011? Uh, a, a, a younger man. Um, I was <laughs> thinking that if, if, we're, if the revolution is going to pop off in the United States, mm -hmm. it's going to be Oakland. And yeah. I, I had this, like, I'm moving to Oakland. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there. And... At the Much at the time, at the time, people <laughs> were telling me like, "Oh, Oakland, you know, it's it's rough. It's a rough, place, <laughs> you know." And, and now it's the third most expensive city in the United States. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, oh yeah. I always like so all the way over here in Delaware, where we don't mm -hmm. know anything about what goes on on the West Coast. That was my conception of Oakland was always that it was kind of a rougher place. And then the only person I've ever met here who was from there was like well yeah when i was a kid it was you know affordable and then all of a sudden everything got really expensive and then i was yeah. homeless so i had to leave yeah and he just uh. kind of thumbed it like over to delaware all the way to delaware well i yeah. just kept moving until he found somewhere you could get a job really yeah that the jobs yeah. here are so great but but yeah it, but but the landscape that boots is presenting in mm -hmm. sorry to bother you as this one of you know, um, uh, it being like a, a place of intense class struggle is, yeah, you know, it reads perfectly to me. You know, like you're saying, like, you know, driving, you know, every scene of them driving anywhere pretty mm -hmm. much as long as, um, until he gets his nice car. But yes, uh, otherwise, yeah. any, any scene of them driving anywhere, um, is accompanied by, um, homeless encampment, you know, right outside his work, there's, there's mm -hmm. homeless encampments and, you yeah. know. Yeah, or right, is... or like, yeah, and he like pulls up and there's like one shot where there's a guy like brushing his teeth in a really nice SUV, but it, yeah. it's clear that the, the man who's yeah. gonna be putting on a suit and a tie is also like houseless. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, I you think know, that's... The, the Google employee who's living in their car at yeah. the Google parking. Or yep. the teachers, I keep seeing, um, articles and stuff about teachers that 
live in yeah. the cars out there. It's yeah. distressing. Yeah. Um, I mean, not that it's just distressing when it's professional, obviously. It's distressing when it's anybody, but. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's one of the, when the that's one of the other really sort of um, effective parts of Sorry to Bother You um, is that um, Boots is really tapping into sort of like this longer working class radical history that Oakland has. Um, and like, I have a couple of facts and figures, which is kind of fun. No, that's um, great. Thank yeah. you for having a figure. And, and I think, and really when I, so really when I was doing a lot of like research into this, because one of the things I do want to talk about um, with y'all today is sort of talking about the character of Detroit and how complicated she is um, and just how interesting and fascinating she is. Um, and so with that in mind, I was also like, okay, if we're going to be doing character analysis of a black woman, like one, I think we should disclose that none of us are black. No, um, <laughs> no. I, I had that considerate. Well, I, yeah. I, I had no idea. Um, I, I don't know you, so I can't say. Oh, I'm, I'm Chinese and white. So okay. like, basically like, you know, Chinese people are the white people of Asians. <laughs> Which I think are allowed to say, because given like you know upward you mobility <laughs> and like I'm allowed to say it, but I also know that there might be some like Chinese American people who'd be like, "How fucking dare you?" The Chinese Exclusion Act. I'm like, did the is the Chinese Exclusion Act still in effect right now? Is it is it currently affecting your access to citizenship and to like capital and da 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 da? Is it? Get back to me on that. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight some people after this episode. No, I'm like, no, but anyway, picking fights, right? Well, so but, the thing is, is that I do want to I do want to be clear that like none of us are black, and um, we're gonna be talking about a black woman character, and um, we can like all three of us can try to be as sort of um, generous and capacious and sort of mindful of that as we can. But obviously there's going to be limitations and like um, there's gonna be things that we just can't speak to. But um, with that said, I really tried to do a lot of like research and background reading and thinking with myself and sort of the paper that I wrote on Detroit um, uh, to sort of like make sure that I'm doing this in a mindful way. And obviously, again, there's going to be there's going to be spots and there's going to be things that are just either not fully fleshed out or not accurate or whatever, but all we can do is sort of the best we can. So that being said, the research that I did about sort of in relation to Oakland and sorry to bother you was really about sort of the history of Oakland through the lens of black labor struggle. Um, so one of the most, one of the things that happens when you grow up in Oakland is you grow up knowing that the that Oakland is the birthplace of the Black Panther Party. Mm -hmm. um, and it's sort of like this point of pride that everyone who is a radical and is from Oakland sort of knows and is like, yeah, we have this beautiful history. Um, you know, everyone sort of, um, Bobby Seale, who is one of the original founding members of the Black Panther Party is still around. Um, he still comes to like meetings and to assemblies and things like that. He still speaks and gives tours around Oakland to significant um, geographical like landmarks throughout Oakland that are significant to Black Panther history. Um, so you so when you grow up in Oakland, you're kind of growing up with this knowledge that Oakland has always been a working class city because of the Port of Oakland, where a lot of like um, shipping cargo will come in and things like that. You have the railroad um, uh, and you have like Amtrak and things like that. And that's where sort of the big historical thing that I think is important to mention about Oakland comes up. And that's the establishment of the Pullman Porters Union or the Brotherhood of Pullman Porters, um, which was the first black union um, in the United States that was recognized by the American Federation of Labor. 
and uh, they were established in 1925. So that was when the first like official black union that was recognized by larger um, unions in the U.S. was recognized, and it came from Oakland. Um, and this was at a time when, according to according to my research, um, <laughs> where um, where uh, train cars um, that were like sleeper cars, right, that people would take for you know multi day sort of journeys across the mm -hmm. continental U.S. Um, those were manned by porters who would carry luggage and set up beds and things like that. And prior to World War One, all of them were black. There was not a single non-black porter in these sorts of like in in the train system and you know that sort of thing and so um the establishment of the brotherhood of pullman porters was sort of this first move to sort of of um of like you know radical black men who were working together and being like we deserve a union as well we deserve to be recognized in this way we deserve to have these particular sort of protections of our own labor and things like that and that came out of oakland um so that's Point number one. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that Oakland is sort of well known for is the 1946 general strike, um, which was led by women who were working in department stores. Um, and I think it was something like over like 100,000 people were on strike for like four days Holy shit. in the city of Oakland. And they just basically shut everything down. Um, and the results of the general strike were mixed. Obviously, uh, the women who went on strike didn't get back wages for the time that they weren't working, but like they were able to get a union contract and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, and at the time also Oakland was something like, I wanna say like 400,000 people. So like a quarter of the city was on strike, which is incredible, That's right? Like wild. I can't even, I can't even imagine that right now. Um, and, and yet we've seen like incredible strike action continue up to this day with most recently uh, the Oakland Unified School District teachers strike. Yep. Um, not, not only for um, better wages and smaller classroom sizes, but also for more um, counselors and nurses in uh, Oakland Unified School District schools. Um, That's resolved, right? Yeah, well, they did just have, they, they, I think the, the union voted to ratify the contract, but I also know that there's a number of student activists who were saying that their demands were not being met and that they were sort of like left out of those negotiations. And I don't want to like speak for anyone because I'm also not there anymore. But I do know that um, the fight is, of course, long from over. Um, and whatever the uh, Oakland Teachers Union says, um, you know, should also be taken with a grain of salt. Definitely whatever the school board says should always be taken yeah, with a grain always, of salt. Always, always. Yeah, um, but, I th but I think that's the other thing is that the teacher strike really sort of like also um, sparked off a number of like student rebellions and students wanting to hold the school board and uh, OUS, like OUSD as a whole accountable to their demands as well. Some wildcat uh, kiddos, which Yeah, cool. that's what's up. I love them. I love the youth of Oakland. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so let's see. Um, and then also, so so those are the two sort of like big labor um, moments in moments in labor history in Oakland that I think are really significant and sort of have set the stage of, of Oakland as like this, you know, working class um, city that is full of, um, you know, both militant and sort of like more traditional sort of like by the book union action. Mm -hmm. um, I used to work for the city of Oakland also, and I was a member of SCIU 1021, um, which is city workers, but it's also like prison guards. So I was like not super jazzed about that. 
Um, Yeah. And so I, and so, and so that's the thing is like when you work for the city of Oakland also, like they have this orientation video that they make you watch, um, which is like, Oakland has always been a working class town. Oakland has always been a union town. And then they're like, and we have strong police. And I'm like, hold on a Uh, goddamn second. Well, and police love their unions too. You know, oh, they it do. all ties they do. together. They're it's... sham unions. Yes. Yeah, they're like, like, police union. like gangs and yeah. unions. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're running a protection racket on all of us. Yeah. <laughs> so fuck cops. Um, cops. Yeah. Glad we can be um, there. Yeah. So those are sort of the two big labor um, things that I focused on in relation to Sorry to Bother You. Um, and I think that you're, I mean, Bardo, I think you're right that like, um, both Occupy and this sort of longer history of Oakland, and maybe now sorry to bother you as well, presents Oakland in this in this in this sort of history um, that I'm not going to say actually Oakland is not that right. Like I think it's very clear that Oakland has a very long history of um, this particular one portrayal and also like radical history um, that shouldn't be pushed away. And so that's why I also love Sorry to Bother You, because it says, no, we're going to root this particular class struggle in Oakland, even if it's a very orthodox class struggle as presented in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's what I have to say about that. So um, <laughs> I guess I, maybe maybe this is too much to speak on, but it, what do you think about Boots Riley as like a, a not as, like a, not as a person, <laughs> no. not as a person, because actually, I think he's as as a yeah, I guess figure. as a, a where where his politics align and and how that fits with your reading of the movie and your feelings about Oakland and class politics yeah. in general. Because like I think he actually seems like a really really uh, cool guy. You know, the cool yes. is awesome, and yes, um, I I think he's he's incredibly thoughtful person, and mm-hmm. um, I I just. I just don't, it's funny to watch him dunk on people sometimes. <laughs> What's funny is that, um, I mean, Boots is kind of just known as this like Oakland dude that people are like, oh yeah, there's Boots. Like every time, like every time there would be a demo, it'd be like, oh, there he is. He's over there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had never actually met him. So I can't really, and but I can't really speak to, you know, his sort of, Twitter presence or anything, but I think that one interesting thing about Sorry to Bother You is that it is very, like, to me, orthodox Marxist. Yeah. Um, it's very sort of like, it has it has this, this narrative is around sort of the formation of the telemarketers marketers union. And in that sense, it's very, very traditional, it seems. And Boots has sort of lent his voice both to the, you know, Oakland teacher strike, he's lent it to um, specifically, um, God, I don't remember what else, but, um, but yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's super in, he's super into like unions traditionally. Right. And, um, uh, and those other things and, and, and has no problem saying, calling himself a communist. And I think I read one interview where he was like, oh, I don't like the leftists who say, um, I'm not a communist. And he says, that's, you know, you're doing, and it's, it was kind of like a tanky talking point a little bit where he was like, oh, I don't like anarchists. And, I should find the interview and actually read the quote so I don't get myself in trouble with someone who I respect. <laughs> you know, I'll try and find. I'll see if I could splice some audio in if I could. Yeah, let but, me see. Um, but yeah, in terms of like orthodox Marxists, I mean, he one of the the first conversations in the movie is him talking about like capitalist alienation and yes. sort of this like feeling of like you know what 
what um what am i besides working and grinding and yeah um, but you know it, i mean the whole thing the whole movie is feels very orthodox marxist which is oh yeah totally you know which is still you know i i'm not like someone who like watches movies and i'm like why isn't this anarchist enough? You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. really a guy with an anarchist tattoo in the movie. There was, so um, but he's a total dirtbag, and he's I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I did think it was um, funny and ironic though. Um, it was, was that, yeah. Was that Boots making a jab at anarchists? I was gonna ask about that. I, I, I thought it was Boots making a jab at like the type of people who start their lives out as like radicals and then just kind of get tired and allow themselves. Oh, to totally. At a telemarketing company um, yeah i do see that i think so i think that this is this is actually where my sort of like argument about detroit comes in um because i think that the you know while we have the formation of the telemarketers union as this sort of very important plot line in the film you also have this like undercurrent of absurdity, right? And not only absurdity produced by capital, but just like absurdity, like surreal, weird shit. Like the tiny, like the big bottle of whiskey opens up, and then there's a tinier <laughs> bottle of whiskey inside, right? And or like so much going on around him, like the scene yeah. um, the where he's first starting to like make calls the first day behind him mm -hmm. there's a copy room and there's just oh it's going flying nuts. everywhere oh, for so no funny. reason it's so yeah. weird so nobody I think, comments on it at all i know i love and i love that like little plot line in the back and you have no idea what's going wrong with the copier but i think that's i think that was one thing that i sort of like really i think sorry to bother you is making an interesting argument about because i think that there's, you know, there's the traditional storyline of creating the union. And then I think there's also this absurdist, surreal science fiction, um, almost could be real too, storyline about the Equisapiens, right? Mm -hmm. And then I think there's also this absurdism and this sort of these moments of joy and opening and um, revolutionary potential that we see Detroit doing, trying to do, but the film also doesn't give the same priority and same time um and same narrative space to detroit that it does to cassius and i really think that this film is the story of one man's sort of um radicalizing and his relationship to capital and relationship to um racial capitalism specifically um but i think and so and so this thing i don't necessarily think i think that sorry to bother you as a film is a lot more complicated than saying oh it's just an orthodox marxist film we have oh, that yeah, one yeah. storyline that definitely works um and i th and i choose to read the storyline around detroit and the way that detroit flits in and out of the narrative and she seems to exceed the the film the space of the film specifically i choose to read that as like ah that's where the sort of like anarchist and um sort of um you know freedom from the absurdity of capital to create absurdities of our own um, I, I think that that's where I choose to see the most, the, the most freedom in that. And please put asterisk by both the word most and freedom because I think those are things need to be qualified. Um, but yeah, but I, I, so that's the thing is I don't want to, I don't want to put words in Boots's mouth and I don't want to say, oh, he's, this is the argument that he's making. But I do think it's interesting that Cassius stands for the very sort of like orthodox radicalism that we think of when we think of unions and we think of wildcat strikes and we think of those things. And I think when we look at Detroit and Detroit as an artist um, and as a, you know, 
and as a very complicated character, I think that's where we can see sort of the um, potential for what, you know, us anarchists would actually be looking for and saying that's where that is, that's where that strand is. Um, and so that's that's my argument. That's my yeah, that's yeah. my thesis. That's my dissertation. <laughs> no, it's not. Right. No, no, it's I mean, not. I promise it's not. So you mentioned something about when we were talking before um, we mm -hmm. started about um, Detroit and wondering whether or not she's a manic pixie dream girl. Um, yeah. Do you want to comment on that at all? Or yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. I th so when the first time I watched it, I did feel that I was like, okay, Detroit is just this. Um, she's just this amalgamation of symbolism of black radicalism, mm -hmm. right? That her name, her name, she's named for a city known for the, you know, Detroit uprising in 1967, also, um, which was also, yeah. Malcolm X, right? Yeah, Detroit, yeah. Right? And, and, you know, this Detroit is the home of the League of Revolutionary Black Workers, which was this Marxist-Leninist sort of collective of all these different unions of black workers in both the auto industry and the healthcare industry in um, like 68, 69, until it fell apart in 71. Um, and, so she, so she's named that and her her name even becomes a joke where she says you know my parents wanted me to have an american name like what's more american than Detroit, this city baby. known yeah exactly Ford trucks Which, yeah and like ford and chrysler and all those different things but it's also funny because um, it's sort of read now as like a city that's like in decline so like oh yeah that, but you could say that about this whole nation maybe i don't know like, mm -hmm. but you can also say it about oakland i mean detroit is going yeah. through its own process of gentrification where tech money is yep. sort of pouring in and um you know making things gross and terrible in the way that tech does um but yeah i think that the first time i watched it i was like yeah detroit is this sort of like a, a collection of symbols put upon a black woman's body to sort of represent all the radical politics, like all of them, right? She wears a t-shirt that says like patriarchy is a pyramid scheme. She has earrings that are penises. She has like, you know, and she joins like the left eye collective and she's um, she's an artist and um, there's all the, and, and you know, even her clothes are, she's so sparkly and her hair is full of pastel colors well, and things her, like that. Her art project was just presenting her body Mm -hmm. be pelted with like symbols of late capitalist hellscape and um, and ex and like resource exploitation in in yeah. the Congo as well I think which is a really important yeah. part of Detroit's artwork is that she's um yeah but anyway so when I first saw it I was like oh yeah she fits the manic pixie dream girl trope you know she exists as Cassius's consciousness as well, saying, I'm not going to fuck with you if you keep crossing the picket line. Um, and then, you know, she gets back together with him at the end of the film when they finally have that last um, strike action. Um, and, you know, they're suddenly together again. They're living together in the basement of Sergio's house in East Oakland and things like that. And so I was like, weirdly, this, like her arc and the role that she plays in the film seems to fit the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Right. I think that T Tessa Thompson raised an interesting point on Twitter where she said, am I, oh, she, where she basically said like, you know, but what if I'm the first black mix manic pixie dream girl? And <laughs> yeah. I was kind of like, okay. a little bit of an argument for that. Yeah. Um, but I, and, and I was still thinking about it. And then Boots tweeted something 
where he basically was like, no, she's not a manic pixie dream girl. Um, and I really, I want to read it because I know that if I, the wording to me was very interesting. Um, so I'm pulling up the link right now um, to his sort of Twitter essay explanation of Detroit as a character. Um, and let's see. He basically says that, zoom in, damn it. Um, <laughs> so um, let's see, where's the line where he actually says it? Ah, so my particular thing with Boots, Boots was like, she's not a manic pixie dream girl because she fucks who she wants because she wants to and when she wants to. Um, and that, you know, it's Detroit know sort of- that, may, that would preclude- Yeah, I know. I don't, that's like the whole I'm thing like, is that not he's a free spirit who convinces the main character to get his shit together. Pretty um, much. Um, yeah. And so that was something that was confusing to me. I was like, I don't understand how like- that translates to not being a manic pixie dream girl. Um, and I think the other thing was that there was some critiques that the film doesn't pass the Bechdel test. And I'm like, who gives a fuck about the Bechdel test? Honestly, yeah. um, you know, poor Alison Bechdel should be better known for Funhouse than for just this Bechdel test, um, <laughs> which is her graphic novel memoir. It's nice. Um, uh, and Anyway, so that so that was one thing that Boots said about about Detroit not being a manic pixie dream girl, which I found odd. Um, yeah, it just doesn't. I don't know. It, nothing about that is, you know, yeah. like when I think about you know the for like my you know the manic pixie green dream girl has what been around since like the fifteen hundreds or something like that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I say that it started with Garden State, but it probably came much earlier than yeah, that. Yeah, well, I'm sure. I think that that kind of trope comes from just a lot of like classical sort of romance and like I mean, Shakespeare, my, maybe. Even. Yeah. But uh, I, I, my, the one I go to, the manic pixie dream girl uh, of my mind is from a, a Spotless Mind. What's that called? Um, oh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless yeah, yeah. Mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the whole thing is she fucks whoever she wants. You know, that's mm -hmm, like the mm -hmm. entire point of it. And I, I don't Yeah. I don't um, yeah. So that was something that was confusing to me. I didn't totally understand as to why um, why Detroit's choice, like who she, like whether or not she sleeps with Squeeze, whether or not she gets back together with Cassius, like that her freedom is defined in relation to who she's sleeping with. Like that to me just right. wasn't interesting. And then I was like, but I still really like Detroit and I want to like Detroit. And I, mm -hmm. and I think that as a character, she's still super interesting to me. And so that was, that was what sort of pushed me to sort of say, okay, what if we thought, what if we thought about excess and the way that, that characters um, or minor characters can exceed the world of the film. And the 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 film train the film analysis training that I've had, which is there was nothing outside of the film, everything is in the film, and there you can't make you can't make speculations about things that don't happen on screen, right? Mm -hmm. oh, um, that's boring, but okay. Oh, it's so awful. <laughs> I know. I know. Art analysis. And, and <laughs> yeah. Behavior, which I never wanted to accept either. Yeah, and it's 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 a it's a bullshit way to train people to think about films. But anyway. Um, so I was like thinking to myself, like, okay, what if we considered Detroit as a worker in the orthodox Marxist sense? Like, what if we consider her and her art practice 
Um, and the fact that she makes, she says herself that she's like, I make my earrings myself. I made them myself, right? When she points to the ones that say murder, 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 and kill, 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 we can sort of extrapolate that she's been making all of these earrings to communicate her revolutionary politics forever, right? That, that this, this is a choice that she makes to, um, to show everyone that she is a feminist, that she is, um, you know, in line with this longer sort of like um, black radical tradition. And I was like, okay, so let's pretend that the earrings are fruits of her labor. She's not selling them, she owns them entirely. And she, we don't know if she owns her own means of producing those earrings, but um, there was something to me that was more interesting about her sort of self-decoration um, that looks symbolic and empty because the film is only about Cassius, mm-hmm. right? And I was kind of like, what if we called, a- oh my God, this is too academic. What if we called upon ourselves as viewers and as radicals um, and as people who want to see ourselves reflected on the screen as you know, empty as representation politics can be, what if we filled in the gaps about Detroit ourselves? Um, because I think that, you know, Sorry to Bother You as a film is a very masculinist film and Boots is also a cis man, like, you know, mm-hmm. he's gonna have his own blind spots as well. Um, and I think one of the things about reading these films with generosity and with sort of excitement and also a desire to say, well, what if we took this character who is so fascinating and so excessive and so over the top and her art her art is so, out there and it's clear that Cash, neither Cash nor Sal nor Squeeze really get it. Um, What if we talked about Detroit and her art practice and her aesthetic aesthetic practice and how she communicates her politics as something that is work? Um, Which also, when I started thinking about it, helped me understand her performance art, which is presented as so brutal and we see her flinching and we see this like sheep's blood being thrown on her. We know that they're throwing you know, bullets and um, cell phones. phones. It hurts so much. Just watch. Oh, I'm sure. Right in the face too. Like right in the face. Yeah. So much. It's It's so weird to watch. It's so wild to watch, but also like she says earlier, like this is going to be big for me. Like I think Detroit sort of knows that her role, um, and her calling, which is art, and she even says it herself, she says she exposes the bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that this particular performance art that is so over the top and so, you know, playing into what the white art world expects from black women artists, which is this exposure of the body and too muchness and really kind of heavy, like ham, ham fisted critiques of racial mm-hmm. capitalism. Because just even talking about racial capitalism, the white art world is radical, right? Right. I think that Detroit could, we can almost read that particular performance art piece and, um, you know, her line about her sculptures, which is they're big because they're Africa. Um, I think we should, (laughs) I know, it was kind of like, oh, okay. Um, But I think we should, but I think we should read that as strategic on her part, because that's her getting her foot into an industry that is, notoriously hostile to black women and to black people in general. And we also see that, you know, she's learned to sell her art and sell herself with her own white voice. And it's not the nasally like stand-up comedian. Oh, it's, it's, it's a it's a it's a posh received pronunciation accent, right? Like it yeah. is upper class, it is fancy, and it's done by Lily James, who if we're gonna <laughs> like Lily James has had roles in Downton fucking Abbey. Yes. 
like Lily James plays upper class, sweet, innocent English roses, right? Yeah. Um, those are the characters she plays. And we see in this, and we see in Sorry to Bother You, and especially in Detroit scenes, we see her sort of being able to also navigate those worlds in the same way that Cassius had learned to navigate telemarketing. Right. Um, and I think that that's, that to me, when I started to think about that, I was like, oh yeah, Detroit is not a manic pixie dream girl. Um, Cassius doesn't appreciate her nearly as much as he should. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the film doesn't appreciate her as much. But I think what Tessa Thompson is able to do with the role, what I think um, the costuming and the the way that Detroit has clearly has a life outside of the film that we see, um, especially with her sort of connection to the Left Eye Collective, like she, that, she that redeems her. Jobs. She works yeah. two jobs. She is an artist. She's yep. part of a revolutionary movement. She's yep very busy <laughs> she's so busy she's and doing so she much shit comments on it ever like mm -mm. she never talks to boots about what she's doing or not boots cash. i'm sorry oh god yeah <laughs> yeah i'm never sorry um, no. she never talks to cash about what she's doing mm -hmm. ever like she never says anything about her even like her sign twirling or mm -mm. um she never centers she, does she even does he even know that she's in the left eye movement Oh no, he doesn't because she dips. Like they hook up and she dips to go and install that mm -hmm. giant sculpture, which by the way, I remember seeing that sculpture outside of the BART station <laughs> that I would always go to. And I was like, what is that? I don't know what that is. <laughs> and <somebody laughs> and it was really funny. And said, maybe they're saying that they're literally. No, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they were filming at the time, but it wasn't until I saw the film that I was like, oh my God, that's what it was. Oh my God. <laughs> That's and so I remember cool. it. Oh and I was like, why is there a guy fucking a horse? And why is that here in the middle of downtown Oakland on like 19th and Grand? Or no, Broadway. Yeah. Um, I, I read about the artist who did that. And yeah. uh, she, she, I think it was, she was saying that um, uh, they, she was under very explicit directive not to put a penis um, <laughs> on that because they had reached the limit of penises in this movie and they oh my could God. not put any There's more in so it. There's so many penises. There are many, many penises. But, it's, it's a yeah. very male movie. But she, right. she said that in order to connect the, the man to the horse, she actually had to construct a penis, but they just obscured it all from from view wow Anyways, so there's even really incredible. a penis there that's, that's amazing that's my background work um, that I that's so. incredible <laughs> i love it um yeah so so to me and you know i think so to me that was thinking about detroit as a worker thinking about detroit as an artist whose life exceeds the narrative of the, of the film which is not what boots says in his tweet um <laughs> was actually allowed me to sort of say actually what if we what if we were able to see um this black girl as the revolutionary that we want her to be. We can actually, we can't, we as viewers can make her into that if we choose to read it in this way. If we tie ourselves specifically to only what happens in the film and only what the film presents us, um, you know, then, we're, then we are stuck with her as a manic pixie dream girl. But I think if we read her generously, if we say, 
um, all these times where she flits in and out of the narrative, we have to assume she's doing other things. She's she's spray painting a billboard in West Oakland. She's you know installing larger than life art. She's making earrings. She's making fucking Bella Chow earrings, which is what she wears at the very yeah. end of the film. Like it's incredible. I think that Detroit is not just a repository of radicalism. I think that those are choices that she's making. Um, uh, and again. That- that yeah. billboard was a, a Huey P. Um, oh my God. Right? Yes. Yes, it absolutely was. It was um, a reference to a portrait that was done of Huey P. Newton. Um, and in the, in the photo, he's holding a spear and he's also holding a gun and he's sitting in that iconic like peacock chair. Um, and that was, I don't remember like how that was initially distributed, but it's like a very very iconic portrait and actually i re i really love that rewriting of the billboard can i talk about the billboard yeah because i couldn't remember what it was and then i was trying to google it and i couldn't find it anywhere okay please so one of the so the initial billboard says um wait um i have to find i have a screenshot of it like on my computer somewhere um i I love this movie um, <laughs> because it's just so complicated and there's so much shit going on. And also, you know, as we said, it's portraying the city that I love with all my heart. Um, we, we just so... watched this. We watched this a second time just just now, moments ago. And uh-huh. um, I had this like. I, I just felt so overwhelmed with the amount of yeah. things in it and the the amount of I'm like, we could just talk about this scene. You know, we could just spend like and you know, and, and pretty much any scene in this movie or mm-hmm. or location at least, we could we could just spend like an hour talking about because mm-hmm. they, each one has its own little like dynamic and lesson and like point that that Boots would like to make. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. with like a couple of different levels. And I felt absolutely overwhelmed mm-hmm. why wa- I'm I'm so happy you've already written a paper about this <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and we, um, have, we have a focus also, <laughs> which i'm also happy to share um also with anyone with folks at home who are listening to this or just tuning in um i'm also happy i'm also happy to share any of my like weird ramblings about it um i'm hoping to i'm, I'm cleaning it up so it's less messy because i did write it for a final and i was kind of burnt out at the end of the semester but anyway yeah, um, so i found the screenshot Right? Oh my God, fuck right. semesters, fuck school in general. Um, yeah, I say as a, I'm a PhD student. Anyway, um, <laughs> so the billboard is initially a worry-free billboard um, and it says, uh, show the world that you're a responsible baby daddy. And there's a picture of a man with a beard and glasses. A fucking message. You know what, it's actually, and it's, I, I chose to read this as worry-free worry-free knowing what it's doing and that this particular advertisement is perpetuating this sort of myth about absent black fathers, Mm -hmm. which we saw and which originated from uh, the like very well-known Moynihan report, which was this sort of like social, this bullshit social study that said um, that, that originated sort of the the stereotype of the welfare queen, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This would have been late eighties, early nineties, right? Oh no, before that. Oh yeah. Before that. Yeah. I think the Moyne, um, I should have looked this up before because I wrote about it. So wait, sorry, Pinko, did you say something? It wasn't, it wasn't it in like the fifties or sixties, I thought. Yeah, no, 65, it was published. Um, and it was written by, um, it was basically written by this guy, Daniel Patrick. 
Patrick Moynihan, and I am not a scholar of this. There's other better people who have written about this and people should definitely check it out. Um, but basically he sort of said, oh, the reason why black people are still poor is because the nuclear family has collapsed because black men are incapable of taking care of their families and black women are forced to work and they're on welfare and they're having so many kids and it's so awful, right? It was a horribly, horribly racist, so racist, bad. So bad, so, so bad. And there's so many scholars who have sort of looked at the Moynihan report and um, used it to sort of theorize and write about why, um, you know, uh, like these, why the welfare state is like continuing and these, and how it perpetuates ideas about, um, about both black men and black women and these, and these mistaken ideas about black families and kinship and things like that. Um, so I chose to look at that billboard with this sort of finger wagging shame, like shaming words about show the world that you're a responsible baby daddy as mm -hmm. definitely in line with what the Moynihan report initially put out this sort of like shame, like saying to black men, like you are not good enough. And it's everyone's like, it's your fault that your family is poor, that you are kept right. in poverty and things like that. And, and so the rewrite, wait, sorry, I cut you oh, off. Sorry. Um, so like the structure of how worry free would have worked, or works like you have to go live there too. So like mm -hmm. by definition of how they work, you would become an absentee parent yep. if you join them. But I guess Yeah, well the other the other creepy thing is beneath the billboard, there's 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 text at the bottom that says sign your family up for worry free now. Oh geez. So oh, then like the whole said, idea you can't be it doesn't it doesn't like solve the issue of the family being poor either because they don't get paid for the work nope so not at all it's just like i it's so it is th that's that's why i found the billboard just so bleak was that like be an absentee father but on our terms and mm -hmm. then you will be respectable it well, was just so like creepy i mean the the whole yeah the, the whole concept of i mean this is this is the the return of feudalism company um and it's um you know, it's, it's going, I mean, I, I know you're talking about the Pullman union in mm -hmm. Oakland, but going back mm -hmm. to the Pullman town, uh, Pullman company town in Chicago, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, it's, we're describing something very similar to that. Oh I, yeah. What it sort of seems like to me. Yeah. You're, it's just like in an open air prison. Yep. Uh, yeah. And well, I think the other thing, too, that we should also keep in mind is that because this particular billboard seems to be like this billboard in the Sorry to Bother You universe is marketed towards and pointing a finger at black men, that this is also just like it's modern day slavery is what it is. And we all we already know that, you know, like prisons now, like prisons nowadays are also modern day slavery. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's also important to for us to note that under racial capitalism, this is what this is. This is. This is the anti-blackness of capitalism, right? That is inherent to capitalism and its exploitation. And I think that's something to that um, that is important to me to point out about the particular billboard and about um, worry-free as this sort of fictional but very very real institution that exists currently mm -hmm. um, in other sorts of ways. Um, which is why the rewrite of the billboard is so important, right? Um, in this sort of, it, that it's been redone by the Left Eye Collective um, and that it's now, instead of saying, show the world your responsible baby, doubter, baby daddy, it says, show the world your response baby. 
And then, um, yeah. And then the text at the bottom, which originally read, sign your family up for worry free now, has been blocked out. And the free has been like the um, the words, the letters D-O-M have been added. So now it just says freedom underneath. Oh, you can see the bottom. Oh, yeah. Great. Well, I can send you all the screenshots. So don't worry about that. Um, but yeah, um, that the billboard has been now been rewritten, and now the man who was sitting on the couch with the forty and the TV remote is now sort of this contemporary Huey Newton, um, and that he's sitting in the peacock chair. That it's sort of this call for militancy. That um, that there should be a militant response to um, modern day slavery and to uh, you know this new institution um, worry free, which is also you know not only building building phones for a company in Japan, but also building, you know, nuclear weapons um, and, 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 um, and military, um, military armaments, um, as we see. Mm -hmm. So I think that sort of rewrite of the billboard that, that, um, that to me is where the radical politics lie, the sort of saying, fuck you for this racist ass billboard, we're going to rewrite it with something that is deeply rooted in Oakland and deeply rooted in black liberation movements as well. Is also telling your workers basically to pick up a gun, which is yeah, fight the Uh, fuck back. Yeah. And and then uh, not to dwell on this too much, we Mm -hmm. again, we see the billboard again at uh, Glyph's house. Yeah, which is the creepy part that it's something um, you know, that Steve Lift saw and said, I want that in my private collection and I'm going to put it behind a velvet barrier. And it, um, it, it fits really well with um, the, it's the same theme as the, the, the woman who threw the soda can. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Being sponsored by the soda company. And, yep. Uh, Getting I, enough money to buy four white babies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking weird line. But, I love it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you wanted to talk about the parallels between that well, scene I, and the um, Kendall Jenner Pepsi so, ad. And that was... Oh, <laughs> yes. And so, actually, I started thinking about that because this was written in, like, 2050. It was, it was written several years before it got made right yeah so it, so it was published it as a script it. by mcsweeney's in like 2012 so it was actually like written in sort of the middle of not in the middle of occupy but around occupy which i think is why it's an occupy film it's not a trump film you know right right right, right. um whereas and- like black klansman was a trump film mm-hmm. that was a film about trump right in response to sort of this this post 2016 thing but- yeah but sorry to bother you was an occupy film like yeah. from the get-go yeah, yeah. and 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 so it's one of those like what horrifying premonitions of mm-hmm. the, the the soda scene and the the uh, the Jenner Pepsi ad where she she goes and and shares a I, I we just watched a two and a half minute version of this ad which I didn't know existed mm-hmm. um, where um, you know the premise is she's uh, invigorated by all the the protesters and. Um, joins them and like all protests we all have uh, big buckets of ice with Pepsis in them I know you I know what I love about this started bringing sodas to protest after that and throwing them at cops oh yeah that was amazing rad it was hilarious one thing that I did love about the Kendall Jenner ad though 
is like the signs all said things like join the conversation and like yes. the signs i was like have you ever seen or bothered to read i mean like that's one of the things is that like currently you go to a protest and it's a comp it's really a competition to see who has the wittiest sign yeah you know yeah. like well, especially fucking women's marches eating brunch and like they're smiling and then mm -hmm. and the dude brings his cello to the march for some fucking reason i don't really get yeah that. yeah um, yeah but and then but the, it is so like there's this point it's so exactly like these kinds of um like no offense to the women's march but so no every have, offense like, to the women's march <laughs> okay i didn't want to fuck that parade yeah, that's a self-congratulatory yeah, parade. parade um God, I have vivid memories of that because we were standing outside the courthouse in D.C. Um, doing jail support and the Women's March walked by and they just all gave us these like scathing looks as they were walking by. And it was just like, fuck those people so much. But um, so hard. Fuck but it. The, the, the image of a wealthy beautiful white woman seeing mm -hmm. a march go by and then being like oh i want to do that there's a cute boy there and then just imposing herself into the situation and going up and talking and fraternizing with a cop is just so perfect and exactly like what i don't know it just it it, it made a yeah. point that it didn't mean to make but i thought it was oh yeah no so i think i think it's also interesting because the because cynthia rose who's the character who throws the soda can in sorry to bother you um she's also the one who shows up as like on tv being interviewed about the the um left eye demonstration at worry free headquarters in the in oh, the really? like yeah yeah so in the first bar scene um, or no, not the first bar scene. It's a bar scene where um, Cash, Detroit, and Squeeze, and Sal have all gone out together, and Danny Glover is there. Right. I don't right. even remember if Danny Glover's character has a name. I should just like Danny Glover's there. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. He does have a name. I've just been saying, and Danny Glover's there playing Danny Glover. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's good enough for me. I think he should. Right? I believe that Danny Glover could be that guy. He is that guy. He spoke at Occupy Oakland. Like, he's he is awesome. that guy. Yeah, he's awesome. A, he used to come over to my my friends, um, my good good friends' parents who were uh, his, his dad was like a big Maoist, like in the seventies mm -hmm. and eighties and things yep. like that. And so, like, Glover just used to show up at their house for dinner all the time. It was like a mm -hmm. very strange and surreal thing. Really? But yeah. He's just, he's just big lefty. He's cool I looked dude. at Tease Bardo and because he seems to like have these weird connections to famous people. And like my Kevin Bacon score has improved <laughs> dramatically since I met this guy. It's great. Yeah. Um, That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's, she's in on TV in the bar. Yes. She's being interviewed as a left eye on, activist on, on yeah. the street person right on the street person answering questions basically because it's after steve lift says oh the comparison to slavery is ridiculous because we don't make people sign worry-free contracts under threats of violence and i'm like you don't have to that's what capitalism does yeah. um and then it cuts to cynthia rose actually in the girl who plays cynthia rose we and we played soccer together um and we lived like Whoa, two blocks away from each other yeah. <laughs> yeah so um so this film is actually about me just kidding um, <laughs> um yeah but anyway so cynthia rose is being interviewed on television to sort of talk about 
worry-free, you know, feeding their workers cheap slop and living in workhouses and things like that. And then she's also the same one who throws the soda can and then gets this thing. And I was like, yeah, I know that bitch. Like I know both <laughs> the girl who plays her, but I also know people who are like that people who, um, people who have radical politics, but also really, really enjoy the spotlight. Right. Um, yeah. And so that was another sort of like indictment, I thought, um, of the film of particular leftist organizers or like right. scenes where and of you know, Occupy, like yeah, so yeah. Much, you know, I I can ex speak for Occupy Chicago, where mm -hmm. that was like a really big problem. There was just this day where all of a sudden all these posters were out with just mm -hmm. like the it was like there are six different people whose faces mm -hmm. were just all over the city. Yep. who were like, and it was like Occupy Chicago and it was caricatures of these six different people. Mm -hmm. and, and it, I mean, it tore the whole thing apart because it just became this thing of like, wait, who the, why are these sick? Why do we give a shit about these six people? Yeah. And, yeah. Why, you know, why, why are they loud, suddenly spokespeople? But, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, and so I think that's like the character of Cynthia Rose is really interesting to me for that reason. And I think the comparison to sort of Kendall Jenner and the Kendall Jenner ad is like very is like apt because that is kind of like that's a white woman move you know to like put yourself on TV and to accept the money to buy four white babies because you want to be famous and have a TV show you know <laughs> like I'm like that's a white woman move yes yep um okay so then the one other thing that I really wanted to talk about yes was um the character squeeze squeeze Ooh, and yeah. existence as the guy who is a useful organizer and all this stuff but also is definitely there to get laid and his name is activist yes. he's a activist yes. yes. activist yep um every space has one yes every space so. has one so you kick him out and then another one comes back. yeah they're but, just i know yeah god um, they're like mold <laughs> <laughs> There is no source. There's no particular source. You just have to keep scrubbing. Yeah, you think bleach will work, but it won't. You have to call in professionals to get rid of them. Um. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, when Squeeze says that line, you're rubbing him off, right? I was like, oh, no. Oh, my God. I, yeah. The other, yeah. yeah. So I think, I, I think Squeeze is really interesting. Um, my read on Squeeze is that I'm like, oh, you are the traveling activist, you know, like you go from town to town radicalizing people. And when your work is done, you leave, mm -hmm. um, which and also is no like, tie to the community no and, tie, yeah. no sort of like, you know, deeper care for the thing. And I'm like, oh, is your goal just to get laid and start unions? Like your goal is not actually like smashing capital or building networks of care outside of this. Like what? Um, what a life, get laid, start unions. <laughs> Pack up and move on. It sounds wild. I know. And I'm just like, ew. Also, the fact that Squeeze is the only sort of like Asian American character. And yeah. I think that's also a really, um, that's a really interesting choice as well. Because, you know, we also see in Steve Lift's party, there's a couple like East Asian faces and South Asian faces as well. That's kind of, um, I read that as a little bit of a commentary on how, um, you know, Asian people are sort of, we're sort of split, but a lot of times the larger group tends to align itself with whiteness and with capital because that's where the power is, right? right. Um, and I found that to be a really interesting thing also after watching a movie like Get Out where one of the many people bidding on um, 
the sort of hypnotized black people. Hit, oh wait, have you guys watched Black oh, yeah. Out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank God. Oh, thank God. Okay. Um, <laughs> how there was like one, there was one, there was one Japanese guy there, right? Um, right. Who right. was also interested in sort of occupying the body of a black person, and I think that's a really interesting commentary. And I think there's been a lot of really good conversations and writing about like anti-blackness in the sort of Asian American community, and specifically like. Um, you know, black and Korean relations and how Korean Americans have tended to align themselves with whiteness and capital as well, especially when you look at like the LA riots and things like that. Um, so I found the inclusion of Steve Yoon as um, this activist organizer who has no ties to the community, isn't really building stronger relationships with the people around him and is clearly there just to fuck Detroit a really interesting indictment of, you know, these sort of self-congratulatory strains in left East Asian American organizing where we're kind of like, we are here to talk about anti-Blackness, but we're also like still afraid of Black people. And I'm like, that that's a whole mess that needs to be undone and sort of needs to be addressed. Um, and really, really thinking about, um, you know, that particular investment and like how like how how leftist are we if we're really there just to start the union and dip you uh -huh. know um like i and i think and i that's how i chose to read that but i was also like yeah also fuck activists they're the yeah. worst i still think it's so cool that they named him squeeze and he's a activist. oh yeah totally totally um yeah i mean it i, I know i i didn't um I tried as little as possible to um, to do readings about this that that I didn't revolve around white supremacy and indictments on myself mm -hmm. um, in this movie. So I, I didn't I did not uh, tear it apart like you did. But yeah, that's it, okay. This is like also I've seen I've seen this movie so many times that I'm just like, and here's what it is. No, I no, <laughs> Um, yeah, I just saw it as I'm like, oh, the horny dude. The horny dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I and I mean, I think that's, yeah, yeah. He does it so well. He he plays the horny dude so well. It's very gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, what else? Um, I, I was really curious about Mr. Beep. I don't know. Like, mm, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Mr. Blank. I've seen it also written. Yeah. Um, who was um, voiced by Pat Oswald? Yeah, which I didn't. Yeah. Know. Um. So Mr. actually, Mr. I have a. I don't. I don't want to say this critique or analysis myself because I am like this is not something that I feel comfortable saying myself. But I am going to read a little bit from a review by um. Uh, by Robin D G Kelly, who is a really great scholar. Um. And he wrote a review of Sorry to Bother You in the Boston Review, and I can send y'all the link. Um, but basically, he talks about um, how Mr. Blank is every manservant, the trusted doorman, the lo loyal slave promoted to driver, the eunuch. He is consistently uses his white voice. He runs interference for cash as they break through the picket line. He has authority, but no power. His status as a modern slave is made clear when he escorts cash to a party at Steve Lift's mansion. Lift greets Mr. Blank by striking him with a horse whip and calling him a sexy chocolate motherfucker. And when Mr. Blank begins to speak, Lift orders him to, to shut up. Um, here, the sexual politics of race come sharply into focus, which I think is the other thing, too. You know, we were talking about like, oh, no, there's too many dicks. But like, whose dicks specifically? It's mm -hmm. this sort of yep. joke about massive horse cock. Yep. And mm -hmm. that's a race. And like, that's also a racialized thing, you know. Um, 
Yeah, and so there's another part where he talks about uh, Mr. Blank, where Professor Kelly talks about Blank, where he says um, how the party at Steve Lift sort of turns into this orgy where all of a sudden, like, we see white bodies, like, fucking each other, and um, Cash and Mr. Blank finally sort of have another encounter, at, like, this this lull in the party, and they're totally alienated from everything that's around them. Um, and Kelly writes, uh, using his actual voice for the first time, Mr. Blank tells Cassius that Lyft wants to see him, offering up some unsolicited advice. Don't fuck it up. The implication is that Black people about to ride to the top always do fuck it up, because they are unwilling to sell their souls, to shut their left eyes to the world, to accept absurdity as an inevitable consequence of the way things are. And I think that's like what Kelly gets at is that Mr. Blank has sort of chosen to play this role where he is sort of at, at Lyft's sort of beck and call. And I think the line, he has authority, but no power is a really good read mm -hmm. of Mr. Blank. Um, yeah, mean, this was a really good review, by the way. No, that was great. I, I was going to say yeah. that uh, beyond, um, you know, even taking away the sort of uh, racial implications of him, which I think are uh, deeply embedded in there and correct, um, just the idea of sort of uh, rising in any sort of mm -hmm. uh, capitalist market involves, you know, giving up your voice, you know, giving up your identity. He's, you know, Mr. Blank. Um, mm -hmm. And closing yeah. your left eye. I thought that that's that was a great uh, line. Just I don't know. Yeah, and yeah. he wears an he eye has, patch. He has yeah. no left eye, and it's such a good like. Um, Juxtaposition. Juxtaposition mm -hmm. to the left eye movement. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think he could be read more universally uh, mm -hmm. as as an, an, an any person trying to exist in, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, we do, we do have people like, you know, Steve Lift or, you know, uh, who can be um, Elon Musk or, uh anyone else any other like billionaire white dude who gets to be a loud voracious uh individual and express like whatever fucking nonsense that is is in their heads at that very moment and the mm -hmm. and the press will amplify it and be like this is fine um, yeah but to be the other 99 percent of people who are trying to work their way up a ladder you are giving yourself up, you know, who, yeah. who the person that you are. But yeah, I do think it is interesting though that the the that when um when Mr. Blank finally tells Cash like, okay, Steve Liff wants to meet with you personally, he doesn't use his white voice for that. And I think that that's that's something that Kelly is getting at in his review and that I think is really also important to understand that there's still some part of Mr. Blank, whoever he truly is inside of him. And it's the one time that he's able to level with Cassius, right? Um, without the use of the white voice. And it's the only time. And it's and it's this one particular time where he says, I know that you and I are both occupying this very weird space and moment in relation to Steve Lift. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think it's also important to notice that like, yeah, Mr. Blake can be any of us who sell ourselves under capitalism. But, um, but also there's that particular small moment of, it's not, it, I would hesitate to call it solidarity, um, but there's that moment of acknowledging like, hey, you made it here. Don't go crashing to the bottom that I think happening between two black men is very important. I can't necessarily speak to like the actual significance of the thing, 
but I do, I, I did like that. That was the only moment that Mr. Blank uses his, doesn't use his white voice and sort no. of levels eye to eye. And it's actually crouching down to be on Cash's level. Cause Cash is like slumped in a chair yeah, and like Mr. Blank, like actually crouches down. One of and the lowest points yeah. in this movie mm-hmm. is when he's ostensibly in his most successful place. He's mm-hmm. it's yeah. He had to do something sort of debasing to like sort of perform mm-hmm. for these people. Incredibly yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. But even when he never, he doesn't look like that, you know, like mm-hmm. he looks unhappy when he's putting 40 cents worth of gas in his car. And he looks, oh, yeah. you know, unhappy when the garage door opens to, uh, you know, so that the whole neighborhood sees him about to get laid. But mm-hmm. he doesn't ever look like he does there where he's, yeah, you know, Mister Mister Blank, uh, mm-hmm. saying, "Don't fuck it up. You're on the precipice." Yeah. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. powerful. It's I, power, it's it is. Art. It is. So that's. I think that's the other thing too about um, this particular film that I think there's like a there's like a small like other fact and figure that I'd like to sort of like read and sort of understand is that um, one conversation that I've had in the past with other people is that Sorry to Bother You is a film made for the Black people in Oakland who are getting pushed out or who have already been pushed out. Um, And sort of to put that in context, like before World War II, uh, the Black population in Oakland was only 3%. And then by the 1990s, it was 47%. So after World War II, there was a massive movement of people leaving the South, and a lot of them wound up in Oakland, um, to the point where Oakland's population was like almost half, um, uh, where Oakland's Black population was almost half of the total population. And then in the most recent census, which was 2010, and we're going to go through a new one, it dropped to 28%. Um, and it's been dropping every year Holy shit. because of gentrification and because yeah. of sort of like, you know, like in, inaccessible housing and all these other things and all the other things that we know to be wrong. Right. And to, the things that we know to be wrong that continue to happen to um, to like, you know, metropolitan cities um, where it makes it impossible for black people and brown people to live. Um, but, yeah, that sort of trajectory um and the fact that the protagonists of Sorry to Bother You are all Black people, I think it's really important to, to also acknowledge because, because Oakland um, has this very rich, deep history of working class and poor Black people in the city, um, that the film being released in 2018 when the Black population has dwindled so much, where people have been pushed out so much, um, that, that, that I just wanted to like also add that to the conversation and to add that to, to people's thoughts about... Um, about the film generally so yeah um i i guess the the only thing the only other really pressing question i have mm-hmm. um is uh what happens after it since we're talking about what doesn't Yay! what, what doesn't happens happen on screen yeah i mean I feel like I've been talking a lot. I no, want to hear what I mean, y'all. Th- I, but I want to hear. I want to hear what y'all think about that ending. Like, what is that ending? Is that insurrection? Is it? Is it? Is it the Equisapiens? Are they going to get the antidote? Or are they going to kill Steve Lift? Are they going to like know. what? So, I mean, it it looks like Equisapiens are still like a thing, uh, mm-hmm. and continuing to crop up 
and or people are being turned into horses still. So mm-hmm. because I mean they never actually addressed the fact that um or rather worry free never gets in any kind of trouble for creating Equisapiens and in fact um is lauded for the the mm-hmm. genius idea. Um so does it mean that the Equisapiens have to rise up? Like what is their mm-hmm. reality like? Because clearly they're trying to rebel. Um I think that a society where you have people who have been like mutilated in in order to make them into like perfect slaves, mm-hmm. the bleak one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like the existence that they must have. So yeah, what happened? Like So something I thought about is mm-hmm. you know, that in the conversation that Cash has with uh Steve in the mm-hmm. basement. You know, he says, I want you to basically be the MLK of horse people. Yeah. Um, but, and, it, but in like but, the least MLK way ever. Yeah. Or the way that MLK has been used since his death. By white rather, people. By yeah. White people. Um, but, but he, and he, you know, obviously he like freaked out. You know, he, you know, no deal was made or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, but he went and did it anyway. He went and did it for free. Essentially, he went on uh, the news and he, you know, he became this voice. Right. Yeah. For the horse people. He is the the MLK of horse people, but not not, in in an actual way, not in a um, sort of. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's the interesting thing is that I think when Cash goes on TV with the clip and everything, he doesn't say people are being transformed. He says they're doing like unethical things and he doesn't. And and then when he meets an Ecosapien, he doesn't realize that like one of those men is like another guy from Oakland. He's just another guy who grew yeah. up in East Oakland. Until he meets the guy. And, yeah. and it's not until he meets the guy that he's like, Oh wait, there were actual people probably being kidnapped from, <laughs> from the streets around him to be experimented on. And so it's yeah. very interesting that like, so, so you're right. Unradicalized it, cash, you know, you're, you're right. It, it, so when he is on TV, he's not. You're, I'm, I was wrong. He's not like MLK because he's he's advocating it as a uh, uh, not, not even a social ill, just like a crime against God. Yeah, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's just unethical business practices. But then, yeah. not a, you know human rights violation. But then at the at the very end, when we mm-hmm. see them crashing into the house. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I guess we're looking at it, you know, we're looking at the cultural tradition. I mean, we're not looking at the cultural tradition of the Panthers in any sort of like A to B sort of thing, but this idea of, you know, resistance in, in a, uh, in a way that can be physical. Yeah. Yeah. I do like, I mean, so this, so I think that reading the ending can be, there's two ways that it can be read. One is the very orthodox Marxist way which is that Steve Lift's mansion is the Winter Palace and the Equisapiens are the, you know, you know, which, right? And they're going to storm it and they're going to kill the rainy, the ruling class and yada, yada, yada and establish a new thing and, you know, replace um, embalmed Lenin dick with embalmed Equisapien dick, maybe? Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. What does that mean? I don't no, know. No, I, no. I like 
my 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 reigning my thing that I say all the time is please just stop writing Lennon's embalmed dick. You don't need to anymore. It's not yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. I love it. <laughs> but seriously, like like if everyone's like, let go of Shakespeare's sweaty balls, stop writing Lennon's bald dick. Um <laughs> <laughs> anyway or the anyway, second so, reading <laughs> <laughs> the second reading of the ending is that they're going to go in there and demand some sort of restitution that they're going to demand the antidote and then maybe kill steve lift um and i think that that ambiguity is actually something that's really exciting i think yeah. that that's where we should let our imagination run wild and pick it and and read it how we want to do we want to see um, sort of that sort of restitution and being in the situation being made right and being given the antidote um, so that they can go back to their lives or do they want the absolute destruction of the person who sits in the, in the high castle, you know? Um, yeah, which is really exciting. But the one other thing that I love is that in the sort of, in the last shot of the Equisapiens from um, the, the little, little camera at the, at the, at the, the pin pad the at the gate, bell. right? Yeah. yeah, the doorbell thing. You can see that the Equisapiens are still wearing their shackles. Um, that they that they didn't unlock themselves. That Cassius didn't unlock them. That they just ripped their their arms off the walls and just ran, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that particular sort of imagery of uprising and of slave uprisings is also very important. Um, and you know, maybe that's also why the ending is ambiguous because. Um, we've seen throughout the film that there's ways that radical politics get reincorporated into the system in the way that Cynthia Rose becomes a part of the system in the way that Steve Lift now owns this billboard of black radical politics in the way that um, even, that even Cash's um, like Cash's face and body in the in the viral video becomes a Halloween costume yeah. for like yeah. little children and things like that. That, the ways that we see radical politics getting reincorporated into the system, I think the reason why "Sorry to Bother You" leaves it ambiguous is because if we had a solid ending, we might actually see the insurrection be refolded into the system, and that would be horrible. Well, I, I was going to say, I when I was doing a little bit of homework for this, I, mm -hmm. I searched um, "Sorry to Bother You," and one of the uh, prompts that came up on Google was sequel. And I just thought, mm. no, 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 no. Exactly. I'm, I'm sure that's not real. He wouldn't do that to us. Mm -mm. Uh, but I, I just didn't even want to consider that possibility because nope. it's, it leaves, it leaves it on, you know, like the, the whole way the, the, the last two scenes of this movie work out where, mm -hmm. you know, we have, all of a sudden he has the horse nose mm -hmm. and then it says a Boots Riley film. Yep. You know, and, it, and you're, you're like left, like, oh, yep. That's yep. it. Yep. <laughs> then, but it's not it. And then uh, 45 seconds later, you know, we're back in Steve's lift, Steve lifts house and mm -hmm. we get another one and it, it, and it's, you're just a touch. You're just satisfied enough. Mm -hmm. at the end mm -hmm. of it and it leaves you just like wanting and uh and considering in in and it's like it's perfect it's yeah it's, it's, this is like a near perfect movie for me like everything about <laughs> mm -hmm. it it's just under two hours which is exactly where long I enough. <laughs> yep, 
yep. I don't need it any longer. Um, uh, it's it's unambiguous, like his unambiguous class pol- class politics mm-hmm. that are good. Um, it's it's funny. It's psychedelic. It's mm-hmm. uh, weird as shit. It's weird as shit. It's 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 like um. If Repo Man was like really good, uh, which I don't, I don't know if it was. <laughs> wait, but... wait! You, you just ended your sentences. At, if Repo Man was really, really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That's great. I like, I, love I it. like, I like Repo Man a lot, but I also thought this is a very good movie. And but, <laughs> but, and this is like Repo Man. If it was like really, really good, mm-hmm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear that. Uh, yeah, I don't know, and I think. Go on, I'm this sorry. film is also no. This film is also just a like, I I read it as a love letter to Oakland and to Oakland's like mm-hmm. radical history, um, and, and and it's one of the, and it's a love letter that is also full of like God. I wish you were better sometimes, or God, like why can't we have the things that we were that why can't why couldn't we have Oakland Commune? I mean the answer is cops, but you know yeah. <laughs> why couldn't we and things like that. And I think that there's. Um, yeah, this film was just, it was so exciting. It was one of the, I was like squirming in my seat like a two-year-old because I was so hyped when I first saw it in the theaters. Um, and that's and not, then the other, yeah? I was just going to say the last, uh, the, it's, the internet did an amazing job of telling me nothing about it. Oh my God, I know. I was I, so surprised. I mm-hmm. like. I was like, and then the timing of it when they introduced the horse people, it's mm-hmm. so it's like the very like last 20 minutes of the movie and it's like okay this is kind of a weird goofy movie i'm into it this is fun. what the fuck is going on what happened <laughs> this movie took a wild turn holy it's shit like the wildest turn i which i love i'm like no yes. I, at first it's i kind of didn't perfect. like it but ne- like the second time around i'm like i love it, it it's good mm-hmm. I've, I've somehow managed to watch this movie with a hangover both times i've watched it but... that's incredible <laughs> that is incredible i'm very proud of you pinko actually but um yeah so i don't know this time around i i noticed a lot more about it and i'm like no this is great i love it um yeah yeah one thing i one other fun fact this is a less fun fact everywhere it actually Uh ties back to what i was talking about when we were talking about housing inequality right um so the mansion that steve lift's party takes place in is currently on sale in berkeley california and it's listed for six million dollars holy wow yeah uh, it's a seven bedroom, six and a half bathroom uh, house, bathrooms? and it is twelve thousand square feet. Holy shit! That's obscene. Yeah, I'm gonna it's... send you guys the Redfin listing. Yeah, it's please. A yeah. nightmare. Check it out in the show notes. Uh, we'll have a link to if you also want to buy uh, this house. Six million dollar house yeah. in the I, Berkeley Hills. Something something I saw when I was when I was reading about this, they did sixty three locations in twenty eight mm-hmm. days of shooting. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Twenty eight days. Twenty eight days of shooting. Wow. I could not you know what? believe it. Yeah. So also some. I mean, should I just do some rapid fire fun facts? Rapid fire fun facts. Rapid fire fun facts. Okay. Some cool um, pew 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 pew. Wah, 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 wah. Um, <laughs> no, don't you don't need sound effects. You have me. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> so the um the art gallery where Detroit has her performance art show that used to be a um like brass music um like a brass instrument music store and they were priced out I think in 2014 um 
the penthouse apartment where Cassius moves into, I think might be owned by Mike Dirt, the um, bassist of Green Day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, what else? What are other sort of, sort of like fun location tidbits? Um, my One of my friends lives a couple blocks away from where Detroit was spinning her signs. So that was really fun. I was like, oh my God, I walk there all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, what's, uh, what was another rapid fire fun facts? Um, Oh, the um, the building that they shot the outside of the strike in front of is really close to one of the best Chinese seafood restaurants in, in Oakland. Noted. <laughs> no, we're it's going really out good. There in a couple months, so we're, we'll what's check it out. Going? We're going out to visit a friend of ours who I think you might know, but I'm not going to say their name. Um, oh, okay, we can we can talk about it yeah. later. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we'll be in Oakland, so. You know, oh, if you yay. could actually throw us more tips about um, the uh, not only Chinese oh, food, can. but you could give us lots of Chinese food places. I'll eat Chinese food six or seven I times. Eat Chinese food like every day. So I miss Chinese food. The place that I moved has it, but it's not the same as like what I want. You know, right. um, mm-hmm. solidarity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I ran <laughs> Sorry, out of rapid, t- rapid fire tidbits. That's okay. Um, is, but is yeah, anything, anything, ooh, go on. What? What? Go on. Go on. No, I did. I was. I, I was just going. Hmm. That's all. I, I was just going to say, is there anything else that like you've? I mean, there's lots of stuff that we missed, obviously. Oh my God, there's but so much. like, is there anything that you really want to hit that we have not? Um, not. Re- I think we covered it. I do want to like. Um. I do want to offer like three book titles yes. like that can go at the very end as like for further reading if people are interested in Oakland specifically in history and stuff like that. I love this um, idea. Yeah, so I'm just going to read them out loud and I guess you can like splice it in at the end or whatever. Um, starting now. Um, so the first book that I would recommend is called From Mission to Microchip, A History of the California Labor Movement and that's by Fred B. Glass. Um, there's another book called No There There, Race, Class, and Political Community in Oakland by Chris Rombery. Romberry? 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 Romberry. Mm, like that. Um, and that's R-H-O-M-B-E-R-Y. And then the last book that I would recommend is called The Revolution Has Come, Black Power, Gender, and the Black Panther Party in Oakland by Robin C. Spencer. Um, And so I would recommend those three books if you're interested in sort of contextualizing Sorry to Bother You, even though Sorry to Bother You isn't a historical film and doesn't make any claims about Oakland history. I think that like, if you're interested in that and if you're interested in sort of like the actual location and how Oakland-ness is just steeped deeply in Sorry to Bother You, um, I would check out those three books. Even if you just read the introduction, you know, like um, that sort of like background reading can add so much to our understanding of these particular films, especially films that have so much politically going on in them, like this one. Um, Yeah, it's reminiscing and it's also looking to the future and it's also expressing some latent frustration as well which I totally get like it is Oakland is not a perfect city. Oakland city is a city that I have a lot of beef with um, or that I have a lot of frustrations with. And every time I go back home, I'm kind of like, Oh, you know, this is, I love it here so much, but I'm also so frustrated with so much shit. Um, And I think people who live there now also feel the same, you know, which is why I'm also like, 
anyone who moved to Oakland after like 2012 is like, you never, you're never going to get to be an Oaklander. And I'm sorry, you can <laughs> fight me on that, but you don't get to claim this shit at all. <laughs> yeah. And I say that as someone who's like a third generation Oaklander, you know, like my dad grew up there. My grandparents grew up there. This is, it's, it's a place that, that I, that I have roots and that so many of us have roots and yet we're all getting priced out. We're all getting pushed out. So, yeah. Oof. Wow. I know. So, Oof. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm fortunate to live in a city that the, nobody, nobody's really gives a shit about, I guess, if that makes sense. Like nobody wants to really move here. The gentrification process of Wilmington is going very slowly. I mean, I think mm-hmm. part of that is like Wilmington needs to be what it is in order for capitalism in America to function because of the banking industry here and Mm. um, everything being incorporated here. And it's so cheap to just like stash money here. Mm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I think if it Mm -hmm. was suddenly like a very posh place to live, it would be that might go away. That might change. Yeah. The Um, one thing that you got to look out for those like tech offices coming in, like, yeah. So, you know, so far, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. There's, I mean, and you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Chicago boy and that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. exactly what is happening there. You know, Rahm Emanuel has mm-hmm. spent mm-hmm. the last eight years making downtown um, incredibly attractive to mm-hmm. tech people and cutting off public transportation services to the South and West side and in order to make them more robust in downtown area and things like that. And, uh, it's not quite as extreme as what mm-hmm. I've been watching happen in Oakland. Cause what I've been watching happen in Oakland is like absolutely mind blowing to me. Oh yeah. Um, and it's like you know, over, it, over a week, there'll be a new thing there. And you're like, when did this start? Who said yeah. yes to this? Yeah. Yeah. And as far as like major cities go, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not in my lifetime. I've not seen anything quite like the uh, transformation usually has a good, uh, connotation attached to it and I don't mean it that way but the transformation of of Oakland okay, but yeah 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 Anyways. it's a mess it's a fucking mess fuck tech fuck, fuck tech. Libby Schaff who was the mayor she sucks yeah okay yeah she fucking sucks she poured all this money into like the police right mm-hmm. um and uh yeah and there was like a move to sort of like try to defund OPD and specifically like cut down their overtime because they right now have unlimited overtime and the police budget takes almost 50% of the, of the municipal open wow. budget, which is. That's uh, Chicago too. Yeah. yeah. 50 cents of every tax dollar to the city of Chicago is. This is why I would always dollar. tell people, I was like, don't pay your library fines. Do you know how much of it actually goes to the <laughs> library? Like maybe a penny. You know what it goes to? It goes to like, some 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 awful beat cop who's gonna like sexually harass like street workers you know and like sex workers in east oakland like fuck that you know fuck that don't pay your library fines don't pay your library fines better about this book that i got from the local library and lost and never paid them for so much better about that now thank you Mm -hmm. yeah yeah do you have anything you want to plug you have um you have a a paper that you're yeah (laughs) no not yet um let's see what should i plug um oh 
Well, this is like not related to. Um, it's okay. To, <laughs> to, to sorry to, to sorry to bother you, but um, if you are in Oakland or if you're paying attention to what's happening in Oakland, please also pay attention to the ICE raids on Cambodian and Southeast Asian refugee communities. Mm -hmm. um, right now, these communities are really under a lot of stress and a lot of surveillance and, um, and fear because of ICE raids that are continually happening. And this has to do with um, uh, a lot of refugee visas expiring after the Vietnam War and a lot of, and um, you know, the US carpet bombing Cambodia and things like that. So um, Cambodian American communities across the US are right now really feeling the pressure and not getting the sort of like attention and support that they should be getting. Um, it's really terrifying. Um, and if you want to learn more, you should check out the work that the Asian Law Caucus is doing. You should uh, check out the work that Asian Prisoner Support Committee is doing to support um, especially uh, Southeast Asian refugees who have been incarcerated and upon release for parole are getting snip, uh, swooped up by ICE and um, being held for either too long or being deported. Um, so I guess my plug is for solidarity with Cambodian American communities across the US who are suffering from ICE's fascist bullshit. Um, yeah, fuck ICE and fuck cops. Fuck and ICE, fuck cops. Yeah. Every Agreed. day. Thank Jesus. you. Every single fucking day. Yeah, Thank you for making everybody aware of that. Yeah, we've yeah. collectively kind of, um, you know, because the world is is so fucked up, and um, we are focused on new bullshit every single day. Uh, yeah, we forget that like the the we have a fascist Gestapo that's mm -hmm. um, making fake universities and then arresting people for getting student visas to go to those universities. Yeah, I mean it. Yeah. So like, and this was oh my god, not I just saw something about not that like today. three months ago, like the biggest story. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. We've when's when's the last major story you saw about? I don't know. It's been a while. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the reminder. Yes, of course. Um, but yeah, and thank you, Krista, for coming on. Of course, uh, thank you for having knowledge me. for having facts and figures and hey. uh, a thesis. A thesis, wow. incredible. <laughs> Uh, thank, you. thank you yeah and reaching out again we're very shy so it's it's just very nice um but yeah if i ever want to procrastinate on a paper again i'm going to dm y'all and be like hey Please let's watch this movie and talk about it yes every week i'm fine with that <laughs> yeah i would be so happy with that because school sucks it does i'm working on my master's right now and i hate it every second Ugh, of it it's awful i hear that yeah I, I knew i was too irresponsible to uh further my education so um yeah you're don't, smart don't yeah i don't know i'm just making that, loud but... foucault noises over here just loud foucault noises about school is a prison fuck school fuck <laughs> prison. say that to me every day this place is like a prison my students and i always want to be like i'm gonna make you read some fucking foucault if you keep that up but they don't I think you should. Stories. I think you should make them read Foucault I I, anyway. I think it's fun. Better. Although apparently they're reading um, "Freedom is a Constant Struggle" in <gasps> their classes, which made me so happy. Oh, I I oh, want to. incredible. I have the teacher that assigned it is new, and I have not <gasps> met. You gotta be her friends yet. with them. I'm going to go shake her hand as soon as I get there on Monday. That's that wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> Glista, this was. Thank, thank you. you. This was yeah. so fun. Yeah. Yes. This is great. I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, try and follow uh, Soft Sad Cloud on Twitter, uh, but 
you you have a, a are locked. So you know, yes. Throw throw your hat Only in that those ring. Those who are worthy. Yeah. Yeah, like, I know. You have to go through food. a very comprehensive vetting process. Yeah, I don't know how <laughs> right? I made it through, but I'm I'm so glad I did. I'm glad. Yeah. We're but, all friends here. Yeah. But um, yeah. You know, again, <laughs> this is so fun. Yeah, um, it's been a while. I'm, I'm so glad we came back with a bang. I think we're doing another <laughs> one next week too. So we're just gonna like not with stuff side clouds and someone else, but we're just we're gonna try and bang these out again for a little while. And yeah, uh, hell yeah. yeah, yeah. We just got a little busy and then some things fell through. So, but we're back. Life we're happened. back. We're Thank, back. We're back. Thank you for bringing us back. Yes. This is of all yours. <laughs> this is so fun. I'm okay. so glad. Um, um that's it. I was just gonna say, as as always, uh-huh. find us on SoundCloud and rate us on iTunes. We got a first really shitty review on iTunes, but thank you. We and, did. Yeah. What we'll, did I say? We'll talk about it later. Um, <laughs> um, but that's okay. Write good ones then. Um, uh, we're at popcorn underscore pod on Twitter. I'm at Alberto Army. I'm at Pinko underscore Tom. And we, again, we're joined by Soft Sad Cloud. Thank you again. Bye bye. Okay. To the plan, a list to the man's. I hold on to shit, my fist in the stands. Lift it again, this in my hand. Lick with the land for those dishes in the sand. I'm socialistic, they so sadistic. Flashing off their ring, don't go and kiss it. Flashing on a green window, it's minted. Police said to me, please, no, I spent it. Don't be winning, transport defending. I know they spend it, we can't vote and end it. These folks are visiting, there's no decision. We make them on the move, they show for driven. But now we can't shine around like a broken prism. Figure out the four keys is a broken mimic. Take this to the office, fill up the office. Cut us on the profits, so we suspend it. Thank <laughs> you.